days. And, and it's seven days of what I believe may be the most important and powerful seven days that ever happened in all of human history. Because without these seven days, nothing would be as it is today and everything would be completely different. And then you got to even ask yourself questions like on a personal level, like there's a global question that asks the question, what would life be like if Jesus never came and died and rose again? What, what would the world even look like? And that, that might be a whole discussion in one day if we ask that question. And then, and then there's a second question that, that, that we need to ask, and it's the personal question. And it's not the global version, but it's the personal version that says, what would my life have been like had Jesus never intervened in my life? Had Jesus never opened up my eyes and come into my heart? Because I don't know about you, but I imagine that if the global answer is really, really dark and bleak, that the personal answer would also be very, very dark and bleak. That had Jesus not come into my life, and, 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 and raised up in my life, then my life would be lost and, and I, my life would be a wreck and my life would be a mess. And so, so this huge question of, of, of what really took place in this week? Why did Jesus come? Why did, and when you look at even the events that take place, this is fascinating. I, now you guys know I love the Bible, but like this week has some of the best and juiciest stories and the, some of his best teachings and some of the things that he said, like, you know, like the parable of the 10 virgins and the parable of the great wedding feast there in there. And you see some of the events that take place. I mean, this is awesome. So here's what I want to do today. I want to start at the beginning of this week. And today's sermon might be a little bit differently than the way I would normally preach. I, I'm a very much much like I'm a simple guy. So like people, people don't think I'm very deep, but that's because I make sense most of the time. And, um, and I, I try to actually take complicated things and make them more simple. Deep people take simple things. And anyway, so, 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 and, and normally I'm really big on like, where does, does life and Jesus meet and where does the rubber meet the road and how do we live out what Jesus teaches today? I, I'm, I just need to set you up and we'll get to some of that stuff later, but I want to set you up and give you and paint you a picture of what's going on and what's taking place. And, and to maybe even open the doors, why did they even kill Jesus? Like why, who was mad at the guy healing the sick? Who kills that guy? Who kills the guy that's teaching you to like help the poor? You know, who, who kills that? Who kills the guy? I mean, who does this? And, and, and there's a conspiracy taking place here that many of us kind of gloss over because we don't totally understand all the details and the facts. And so we're going to get into that day. I just want to open up for you the first few verses of this week and how Jesus enters is what we call the triumphant entry into Jerusalem as he begins his final week here on earth before his death and resurrection. So anyway, let's pray before we begin today. Can you bow your heads? Close your eyes. So, God, we pray that you would just do something unique in us today, that, Lord God, that you'd speak to us, that, God, our eyes would be open, but above all, that our heart would be connected to yours. Lord God, we would feel a little bit closer to you, Lord God, from today, from your words, from your scriptures, God. Speak to us today, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And we all said, amen. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 21. And if you don't have your Bible, it's all good. You can read along the screens and, and we're going to break through and just kind of walk through this opening day here. And there's a good bit that happens in the day. So just hang with me as best you can. The Bible says that as they approached Jerusalem, the day is Jesus and his disciples, that he came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus then sent two disciples and said to them, hey, go ahead to the village. And at once you'll find a donkey tied there. With her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. And if anybody says anything, says that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This is almost like if people think you're stealing stuff, we'll give it back. But just tell them we're going to borrow it. We need it for a minute. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. 
And the prophet said this, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd then spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna, God saves. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. In the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So here you have this amazing picture. Now, if we had a map and you knew the geography, you would know that Jesus is coming up from a certain place and he's coming up from the south. And he's basically coming up the southern road to enter Jerusalem for Passover week. Everybody say Passover. So Passover is this huge festival that the Jews have three times a year that they make a pilgrimage. And it doesn't matter where you're at or where you live. You kind of, if any means necessary, you drop what you're doing. You grab all the family, you put them in the minivan, you tell them you shut up, you don't need to go to the bathroom. And no, we're not stopping and we're going all the way there. We're going to Jerusalem because it's Passover week. And it's this huge festival where literally like hundreds of thousands of Jews would bombard Jerusalem for this incredible feast. And we'll talk about Passover another week. But it was just a huge holiday. It was a religious holy holiday, a special set apart time because God just doesn't make holy places. God sometimes make holy. He makes holy time. And this was a holy time for them. And so so Jesus was a good Jew. As a matter of fact, if you go back from his childhood, even when he was 12 years old, he was going to Jerusalem with his family for what? He was going for Passover. And so he would make this thing every single year. And so all of his disciples and all. So why are all these people gathered around? Because they're all headed to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And then what's fascinating is, is that they kind of a lot of them know what's going on. And there's this huge ruckus going on because just not too many days prior, Jesus had just raised the guy from the dead. That's a pretty big deal, right? Like this guy named Lazarus had been dead and Jesus even waits and lets him die for, you know, several days before he decides to raise him for the day. So there's this huge commotion about this rabbi, this teacher, this healer, this miracle worker, this guy who raises people from the dead. And there's this huge stir. And so they believe many of them that he is the Messiah. And so they start saying what? Hosanna, Hosanna. The son of David. Now, to them, the son of David meant that he was the Messiah, that he was the coming King. Now, here's what you need to know, too. Okay, it's not enough to be the king like that would be awesome of itself. But like you need to know that like Israel is dominated by Rome. They're ruled by Rome, taxed by Rome. They're underneath military oppression by Rome. So it wasn't that they just wanted any kind of a king. They wanted a liberator. They wanted somebody to come and set them free because they hated those Roman guys. Those guys were jerks and means were abusive. They they overtaxed them. They hated these people. This is why they had rioted like different parts of Israel's history. They would just make a revolt and right. And then a Rome would beat the snot out of them. And push him back, leading all the way up to 70 A.D., where like Rome gets so fed up that he just they destroy the temple. They, they demolish everything. And so so all of a sudden, here's this king that might be the future hope. Now, here now, here's what you need to know. On the other side of the city coming from the north was a different kind of king and ruler, because on the same day that Jesus was entering Jerusalem from the south, Pilate, the governor, 
was entering from the north. It was their tradition that the governor, uh, Pilate, would basically descend. And here's why. Riot was tired of the Jews rioting all the time, right? And when 200 plus thousand Jews converge on Jerusalem for Holy Week, how many know, like, that could get messy? Like, like that could really get ugly. And so they have this fortress in Jerusalem. It was the, the, it was the fortress that they built after Mark Anthony's name. They put his name on it and said, this is the fortress. And that would normally hold like a few hundred military troops. But bless God, when Passover was happened, Pilate would converge from the north with thousands of troops to basically roll into Jerusalem and say, uh, y'all love God, that's great, but y'all aren't going to riot. And if so, Rome is here and Rome was going to kick your tail again. And so, so from the south, you have Jesus coming up. And then from the north, and you have, you have Pilate coming in. Now, now li- listen to what they say, though. If you remember when Jesus entered the city, they started quoting a verse, and it was an Old Testament verse saying, Hosanna, 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 right? Now, here's what you need to know about the way that, that Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, but the way the Jewish people would think about the Bible. When, when most people were not literate, you would not read Scripture as much as you would memorize Scripture, right? The other thing that you would know is this, is whenever you're an oppressed people and people are used to like, you're used to people beating you up and then taking your stuff, the Bible was the most important thing to them. And so they would memorize Scripture. And then the way that the rabbis would teach the Scripture is they would actually say the first part of the Scripture and not say the second part. They would want you to fill in the blank and to say the second part. So this is the scripture that they quote to Jesus out of Zechariah chapter 9. And this is the verse. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't that what Jesus just did? Okay, now every Jewish person thinks differently than you think. We just think, oh, great, that's Jesus, king, donkey. Awesome. They knew the next part of the verse, which says this. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And they're loving it because they're like, here's our Messiah. Here's our king. He's coming in from the south. Hosanna, Hosanna. But what was coming in from the north? It was Pilate sitting on a war horse at the head of thousands of troops entering Jerusalem from the north to bring oppression to a people who were celebrating a holiday. And the holiday was all about how God would deliver them from oppression. Do you remember where Passover started? It started when they were Egypt and they were slaves and they wanted to be freed from what? Oppression. And so here's our king. And this is ultimately, this is what Jesus' huge statement is. The king is here. I am the king. And, and, and basically Jesus is saying this is that he is the king. And I'm declaring that I'm the king by coming in and riding on this donkey. Here's what you need to know about Pilate. Pilate was ruthless. Like Pilate comes off somewhat as a nice guy in the Bible because he doesn't want to kill Jesus. Remember, he washes his hands of Jesus. He says, I find no fault in him. But Jesus was a tyrant. Listen, Pilate was so bad as as a human being that Rome thought he was bad. Okay, like if Rome thinks you're too harsh, that says a lot. Does that make sense? Like when mean people think you're too mean, you're mean. Right? Like literally, they, they, he, he, would, he would oppress people to the point where like the, the Caesar would bring Pilate back and like rebuke him. Like, you got to quit being so hard on people. You can't do like, these are the people that nail, if you're a traitor, they nail you to wooden boards and, and, and put you in the front of the city for everybody to see to say no one, no one defies Rome. And these are the people that do that. And they're saying, Pilate, you're too mean. Okay, so, slow down. 
back up. This is the guy, you got to remember, this is the guy that oppressed them. Literally, they could not hold Passover in, unless Pilate said they could. See, Pilate held all the high priestly garments in a fortress, and it was only when he brought them out and gave them to the high priest that the high priest could go ahead and enter into the Holy of Holies and perform Passover. So, like, they hated this guy. This guy was so wicked and so evil that there were times where, like, the Jewish people had this commandment. It said, thou shalt not have any graven images. So they hated that, right? And, and so Pilate came into town carrying these staffs. Now, a Roman staff would always have an eagle on it. Or the other Roman staff would have a picture of, of Tiberius, who was the current Caesar at the time. And, and now, like, Caesar told him, hey, don't, don't irritate the Jewish people. Just leave them alone. As long as they pay their taxes, we don't really care. But Pilate wanted to, like, prove a point. And so he comes riding in Jerusalem saying, you've got to do this. And, we, and so the Jewish people get so upset because you're not allowed to bring those graven images into the city. And so they basically form a riot. And that like, and so you know what Pilate does? Pilate basically threatens to kill them if they don't get out and quit writing. And they say, we'll go to the death. We don't even care. And so Caesar sends word saying, let them people go. Get your junk out of it. You're not honoring me. You're going to cause a riot. Stop doing that. Well, years later, he does the same kind of thing. He said, this time it's different. This time he actually decides he's going to take money from the temple to build an aqueduct. Like, I'm going to steal money from the church. To build stuff for me. And the Jewish people get crazy mad. And you know what Pilate does? Pilate decides this time if y'all riot, I'm going to do something different. So the people do. They decide to riot. He actually puts his own soldiers in regular clothes mixed throughout the crowd. But underneath their garments, they have, they have basically like weaponry. And when they start rioting, Pilate gives the command. And they start beating, they start beating and killing and slaying all the Jewish people. This guy was a thug. And this guy's coming from the north. On a war horse at the head of thousands of troops. And the prophecy said this. He goes, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will. And the battle bow will be broken. And this is the Jewish people saying, yes, finally, somebody is going to take it to Pilate. Now, what they didn't know is this, is that that was not the way that Jesus was going to accomplish this. As a matter of fact, when you see the church began, they don't destroy Rome. They infiltrate Rome. They influence Rome until eventually Constantine, a couple hundred years later, declares Christianity to be the, the, the empire's primary religion. Does, does that make sense? Like, like Jesus had a plan, but it wasn't the plan that they thought he was. But this is, I just need you to get the picture that this was Jesus declaring that I am the king. Now let's keep reading here. So the Bible says in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 21, it says that then once Jesus gets into the city, that he enters the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This is what you need to look at. The first thing that Jesus takes on is Jesus takes on Rome, the evil empire, the galactic empire, the evil empire. He takes on Rome in this opening movement as he moves into the city. But now he takes on now he takes on religious corruption. See, again, there's some other things that we don't know, but they all knew was going on. What you and I don't totally know is the political dynamics that are in place there. What you don't know and I don't know, unless we dig a little bit deeper into the history of it, is this. Is that there was a guy named Annas and his son-in-law named Caiaphas who were the high priest. 
And basically, they were running a racket on the temple. They believed, see, Caiaphas was the son-in-law, and he had been the the high priest for a decade, but his father-in-law had been the high priest for him like 20, 30 years before that. And what they realized was this. They realized that the temple was power, and the temple was money. We didn't know that, did we? We thought these, these are supposed to be godly people. That's why we call them a high priest, right? Who were the people that tried to kill Jesus? If you read the scripture, it says it was the priest and the religious leaders that tried to kill Jesus. These are the ones behind the conspiracy to kill Jesus. Have you ever wondered why? Why do you kill the guy that wants to help the poor and heal the sick? Why would you kill that guy? It's because of this right here. It's because he was taking their religious political system and flipping it upside down and he was driving them crazy. Now, how many know how many of you love like TV shows that are like murder mystery TV shows, cop shows? Don't lie, church. You do. Okay, how many people reality TV show? Y'all are different. Okay, us. Now, now there's a rule in TV shows, and it says that if you ever want to know who the bad guy is, you got to follow the what? You got to follow. Everybody say follow the money. If you ever want to know who's behind it in, in, in any in that rush hour, that's the theme of rush hour. It's like follow the money. There's some there's somewhere there's a rich white guy and he's behind it all. Follow the money. Okay, here's what you need to know. Why is that so true? It's because people are so much driven by power and greed, by power and greed, by power and greed. And so you have this group, this this man and his son-in-law, Caiaphas and Annas, and they're running a racket. Let me tell you how they run the racket. This is what's going on that we don't totally know and understand. Where this is taking place is a place called uh, the court of the Gentiles. Now, the way they built the temple is they had like different court sections. So they had a court for, for the the place that was the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could go in there and he had to even wear special underwear. And so, and then you had to have a, a secondary court where only certain priests could go in there. But then you had another court that anybody that was a Jewish person could go to. And then there was the, the, the furthest outer court, which was then referred to as the court of the Gentiles. That's where this is going on. In the court of the Gentiles, what Caiaphas and Annas had set up was a monopoly. Because when you came to Jerusalem, you had to bring a what? You had to bring a sacrifice. Okay, but you weren't going to travel hundreds of miles with that lamb. You wanted to just bring some money and buy the lamb when you got there. And that was in the Old Testament law. Nobody had a problem with that. Here's the problem. The problem is when somebody has a monopoly on all the lambs. And if you were poor and you couldn't afford a lamb, they said, well, you can just buy a dove. But they had a monopoly on all the doves. They had a monopoly on every animal. They literally were raising them out back behind the temple. And when you have a monopoly on a thing, how many know you get to do what? You get to jack up the prices on that thing. Not only that, you couldn't buy. So, so this is the first racket. Number one is this. They raised the prices on all the sacrifices to get more money out of you. Here's the second. There's, this thing's so layered. The other part of it was this, is that you could not buy your sacrifice with just any money because money had a graven image on it. And the Jews had the, had the law that said you shall not have any graven image. So they wouldn't. So you had to get an exchange rate going and you had to get a special kind of money. It was a certain type of silver coin that had no image on it. That was the only coin that they would accept. So now how many know when you, when you control the exchange rate, what do you do? You jack the prices up. And Annas and Caiaphas are taking a cut on everything. They even had a corruption. There was a guy, because in the Old Testament, they said you couldn't just bring any lamb, but you had to bring a lamb that was unspotted. It was their way of saying it had to be a good lamb. You can't, you can't bring like the, 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 the lamb with three legs and the cone. Um, 
and, and like an iPad. You can't bring that to, to God. That, that's, not, that's not okay. You've got to bring a good one. And so they had, they had a special guy. He was called the one approved. In Hebrew, it was the Munchech. And he, you liked that, didn't you? It's M-U-M-C-H-E-H. And, and basically, this guy was the one that would determine whether your lamb was good enough or not. And what they had a racket on this guy because they laced this guy's pocket to approve less than good enough animals so that they could take the other animals into the marketplace and sell them at a higher. These guys are making hand over fist. And Jesus walks in and was like, what in the world is going on? Y'all are crazy. Y'all are up in the temple running a racket, trying to make money off people who simply want to come and honor and worship God. Now, how many know that might make God? I was a little bit upset. This was the racket they were running. And so you know what he does? He starts flipping over. You've got to imagine this is really happening. Imagine an entire courtyard. It was literally, they had called it the bazaars of Annas. Because it was, these, it was just the marketplace. And everybody knew that Annas and Caiaphas ran the whole joint. It was like a mafia thing. You know what I mean? It was like you had the head. He's a made man. He was at the top of the crime boss family. And he had all the other priests in his pocket. And he had, so Jesus infiltrates this corrupt system where everybody's making money hand over fist. They literally were ch- taking, because it says specifically later that they were taking women, uh, women. Well, the only reason you would specifically point out a woman is if it was a widow. Does that make sense? And a widow wouldn't have to buy a lamb because she didn't have enough money. She would buy the dove, which was the cheaper sacrifice. And they were raising the prices on the doves. They were trying to take advantage of every possible person that they could. And Jesus goes in, you got to imagine this courtyard, and it's, you, you hear the, the noise of the animals, and you hear the arguing and the debating and the negotiating of the merchants, and you hear the coins and the bleeding of the animals and all this stuff. And the Bible says that Jesus makes a whip. <laughs> I love that part. And so he makes a whip, and then he literally whip in one hand, and the other hand, we just flipping over tables, and he drives everyone out. Now, do you remember what he said? This is what he said. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now, what he does is this, is he takes two different prophets and he smooshes them together. Does that make sense? The first part is from the book of Isaiah. The second part is from the book of Jeremiah. Now, now, what did I tell you a minute ago? That when a rabbi quoted scripture, he didn't quote the whole thing, did he? You're scared to answer. Okay, so... So the rabbi would say part of it, but he wouldn't say the next part of it. He wanted you to think about the other part of it. I can show you this a few other places in scripture. So this is where that scripture comes from. So when Jesus goes in there and starts flipping over my house, we call it a house of prayer. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. This is what it says in Isaiah 56. This is really, this is even what makes him more angry than the money deal. Listen to this. And foreigners, everybody say foreigners. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for what? All nations. Where was the marketplace? It was in the court. Of the Gentiles. Now, if you were a Gentile, that just meant you weren't Jewish. And if you were a Gentile, that was the closest that you could get to the place of worship. You couldn't go into the inner court. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holy. You couldn't go into those places as a Gentile because you weren't one of God's chosen people. And that they were fine with that. But these Gentiles from all around the world 
Think about them. Converge on Jerusalem so that they might honor God in this holy time. And instead of being able to have a place of prayer, instead of being able to have a place of worship, what do they find in the court of the Gentiles? They find this crazy, greedy, overrun marketplace. And Jesus is saying, are y'all kidding me? The one place where the world ought to be able to converge and find God. You guys have wrecked it because of your greed. And so when Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, he's saying, hey, I'm the king. The king has entered the building. I'm, I'm here. And when he goes into the marketplace, this prophecy from Isaiah 56 is all about the Messiah coming so that he would open up the floodgates, not just to the Jewish people, but to all the world. Do you remember what John three sixteen said? For God so loved the world, not just Jewish people. Hey, God doesn't love just Christian people. I just, I just, just going to throw it out there. God didn't come to save Christians. God came to save the world. And he was so irritated, not only at their greed, but the fact that they had taken what was supposed to be a holy place and had basically made it a muck and made it a mockery and had pushed out every person from all through the four corners of the world where they would have a place to worship. They made a mess of it. It infuriated, infuriated God. This was Jesus saying, declaring he is king by cleansing the temple. Two more quick things and we'll kind of wrap this up. The Bible says in verse 14, this is all in one day. This is a busy day. It's a good day, right? You come into town, you got your donkey, then you start making people mad. Now, how many know when you start taking away money and power and you start turning their religious system upside down, people get mad at you. This is why they decided and conspired to kill Jesus is because he had infiltrated their corrupt religious system. It was the religious people that wanted to kill Jesus. Roman didn't care. The only time Rome stepped in was once, once they had said, no, we don't find any problem with this guy, the Jews in response said, well, you better kill him because if not, he claims to be the king and he's going to cause a riot. That is the only reason Rome got involved. Verse 14, the Bible says, after he flips the temple and gets crazy and whips people, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were what? That's fancy for really hacked off. That's all that is. Who was mad? The chief priest and the religious leaders. That's who was hacked off. And I'll tell you why they were hacked off. When the blind and the lame came to the temple, Jesus healed them. Now, let me read to you what Isaiah 35 says. Again, prophecy about Messiah. About Messiah. The Bible says in Isaiah 35, it says this. It says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. Then, everybody say then. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer. Are you seeing it? Who was Messiah? Messiah would come in riding on a donkey, but he would come in righteous and victorious. Messiah would come and he would open up the door for the Gentiles so that all nations might worship God. Messiah would come and he would heal and help hurting people. This was again, this is Jesus declaring he is king by healing the sick. Now, what's interesting is this. This is this is the last one. The Pharisees or the, 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 the high priests and the religious leaders got mad because they were shouting. Remember that song we sang earlier? Hosanna, son of David. So in verse 16, if we keep reading the narrative, the religious leaders who were so indignant, they asked Jesus the question, do you hear what these children are saying? Well, yeah. 
I'm not deaf. That's what Jesus replied. And have you never read? Like, not only am I not deaf, are you dumb? They're supposed to know everything. They're religious people. Have you never read? Like, you guys are supposed to be the Bible guys. Don't you know anything? Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. Now, everything that we've seen today has an Old Testament connection. Do you see that? Everything that we see today is Jesus fulfilling prophecy that he is the king, that he is the coming Messiah. It started with the prophecy from Zechariah about a king coming on a donkey, righteous and victorious. It continued with Jesus, the Messiah, opening the door to the Gentiles. It continued with Jesus healing people who were sick. This is the final part of it. It says, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called your praise. It's a quote from the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 8, and it says this. Psalms 8 says, O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You are who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. This is Jesus declaring he is king by his response to praise. They were so upset. They were so indignant. They were like, who do you think you are? They're praising Messiah. He goes, I know. That's me. And they were infuriated. Jesus had come in this opening day. This is this is all I want to paint this picture for you is that Jesus came in to show you and to declare to you, I am the Messiah. I am the king. As a matter of fact, I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You know what that was a reference to? In Rome, they had these different places they had occupied and they had all these places of Greek worship where they had these temples everywhere. Well, what Tiberius did was is Tiberius took these places of Greek worship that had all these idols. And then what he did was he would build a roof on top of it and then put a statue of himself on it. And he would entitle it. I am the king of kings. Where do you think Jesus got that from? He's like, that's not the king. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. OK, so in light of that, here's here's where we're at today. Because I think many of us, we've seen Jesus and we love Jesus as teacher. We think, wow, how nice that he teaches us good things and he teaches us how to be moral and he teaches us, you know, how to be nice to other people. And he teaches us cool things about how to how to be free and live, live an abundant life. And that's great. And we see Jesus as savior. We see the one that, that died on the cross, that took the penalty of our sins. And we see Jesus as friend. Like, that's so cool. Like, I want Jesus to be my best friend. That sounds awesome. And we want Jesus as all these things, but never, ever, ever, ever. Fail to remember that Jesus is king. And in light of that, how do you live? Savior means that we're, we're forgiven. Friend means that we have relationship. Teacher means that, that God has not just shown us the way, but he's actually in his life modeled the way. That's why he was the way, the truth, and the life. But what if Jesus was king? How would that affect your life? Would your life be different? Here's a better question. In what areas of your life is Jesus just friend and just savior versus being the king and the Lord, the supreme authority of your life? Where is that? Is Jesus the king? No, 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 not just friend, but the king over your finances. Like supreme authority. I just do what he says. I just go with what he says before he even finishes asking the question. Yes, is my response because he's the king. He's the supreme authority of my life and I owe him everything and I give him everything. Is Jesus the king over your parenting? Or are you going with like Dr. Spock and Dr. Phil and Dr. Oprah and other doctors? Where, is Jesus king over your moral decisions? 
Or do you allow culture to dictate your morality? Do you allow your feelings to dictate your morality? Or do you allow Jesus to dictate your morality? Where is Jesus in all this? I just want to encourage you. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as he enters Jerusalem, that's all he's trying to scream to the entire world. He's trying to make it so plain to the Jewish people. He's trying to make it so plain. And guess what? He's trying to irritate the religious leaders because he knows he's been talking about his death for years. He's been salt and pepper in this thing for years that he was going to die. That was not a newsflash for him. He was even setting it up himself. He's saying, you need to know this, though. I am the Savior King. And I want to rule and reign, not on a throne. That's what the Jewish people wanted. I want to rule and reign in your hearts. Where's Jesus in your life? Let's pray this morning. Father, I... I, 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 the story is so fascinating and, and, and the dynamics and the politics and, and you took on Rome and you took on the religious corruption and you took on sickness and death. You took it all on. I mean, to take on Rome, who does that without dying? And then you took on the religious leaders and you were fearless to them. And then you took on sickness and death and nobody's got control over sickness and death. We don't know how you do that, but God, it was all to show the world. And to show these people in this time, but even today, God, that you are the king of kings, that you reign supreme over all things. That God, at the end of days, the Bible says that every person who has breath in them, every person that ever lives will one day bow their knee. And will proclaim that you are Lord. You will make it evident. But right now, God, you're wanting us to come to you of our own free will and say yes. And so, Father, I pray that in our hearts we would recognize you as king. Yeah, of course we want you as savior. We, we need to be forgiven. And yes, we want you as friend. We, we want that connection with you and that relationship with you. We want you as teacher, God. I, I, I believe, I believe that, that your way is the best way regardless of anything. That your way is always the best way. If heaven and hell were never, ever even an option, your way would still be the best way to live life. That, that is... But God, today, I, I want us as a people, God, to be reminded... That you are the King of Kings. You are the Messiah. You are the one who came and died and rose again. Victorious and righteous. Father, we pray that you would be that in our life, Lord God. As a matter of fact, if you're in here today, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want everybody to kind of keep your head bowed and your eye closed. But if you say today that... Okay, that's different. That's not that's not the religious thing I grew up with. Or that's what that's not what I've always known. Or that was that was different, Todd. But but I realize today that I need God in my life and I need Jesus to be that Savior King. If that's you today and you say, Todd, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life and I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never asked Jesus to come in and forgive me and to help me. I've never done that before. Then today's your day. Today's your day just to say yes to Jesus. And no, I, I know not everything's clear and I know some things are still confusing, but, but that's okay. You don't have to know everything to follow Jesus and you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. You don't have to have everything figured out to follow Jesus. But, but if today you say, yes, Todd, I realize that, that I want Jesus in my life. Then on the count of three, I want you to slip your hand up in the air. It's just a sign between you and God to say, yes, Lord, I, I, I want to say yes to you. And I know I need you in my life. If that's you on the count of three, just slip your hand up in the air. One, two, three, and slip your hand up. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Hands scattered up all around this place. Yes, Jesus. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your strength. I need your help. I need your healing. I want you to be the king and the Lord of my life. That's today. I mean, there's, there's so many hands. I, I, I'm so excited. There's so many hands that are going up around this place. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite us all 
to pray a prayer. And, and, and for you that are already Jesus followers, you're just praying this prayer to help out everybody else around you who raised their hand. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. And we're all going to just kind of follow me in this simple little prayer. And I'm going to help you. This prayer is not magical. There's nothing secret about this prayer. It's just a simple way of us using our, our words to confess, Jesus, we want you in our life. It would go a little bit like this. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. I realize that I'm lost and I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to forgive me. Help me to know you. Help me to follow you. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. That simple little prayer is our just way of declaring that we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus, you are Lord. And it's just a starting point. Nothing magical about it. Like that prayer is, is not the culmination. It's the starting point. It's the starting line. You just...